Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. And let me say, if you're visiting with us this morning, you uh, you chose a good Sunday to visit. Uh, good in the sense that uh, my my sermons once a month are shortened because we think it's more important that you have your own private time of worship around these symbols than listening to anything that I might be able to say. So um, my comments are briefer so that we can prepare for that sacrament. Having said that, um, follow me, if you will, in your copies of God's Word, uh, beginning at verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll read through verse 30. Hear now that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, the very, the very mind of God is black words on a white page. Hear what God has to say. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. What I've just read to you out of 1 Corinthians 11 is the New Testament's most famous and lengthiest passage concerning the Lord's Supper. Um... It includes, as you may have seen, uh, just the barest of details concerning the supper itself. And then it includes a warning. Um, And in that warning, it goes on to suggest, or goes on to state clearly, I think, that, um, that there is sickness... That there's even death that has occurred in the Corinthian church as a result of participating in this sacrament in an unworthy manner. The, the language is in verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. 
And then he says in verse 21, excuse me, verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. It is an outline of the bare essentials of the, of the sacrament and then it includes a warning about unworthy participation. And then he points out, the Apostle Paul points out, that as a result of unworthy participation, some of you, not all, but some of the diseases that you experience among you, and even some of the deaths, are as a result of an unworthy participation in this sacrament. What do you think about that? Are we then to believe that some, not all, but some of the diseases um, that Christians experience, some of the illnesses that we have, and, and even a death or so, are the result of some kind of unworthy participation in this sacrament? My answer to that question is yes. Now, I, I don't want to overstate my case. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying that God routinely distributes illnesses. And I guess you'll have to, um, to wrestle through to your own uh, conclusion about what Paul says there under the inspiration of the Spirit. But it seems to me that, that, that what he says is fairly clear. That as a result of participating... In the Lord's Supper, unworthily, that's his language. Uh, He didn't use the word uh, unworthily. He says in an unworthy manner. As a result, there are diseases, there are illnesses, there are even deaths. Okay, Jimmy, if the stakes are that high, then you're going to need to explain to us what is unworthy participation. What does Paul mean here? Explain that. Explain what Paul means when he warns people, please do not participate in this sacrament unworthily. There is a great illustration in the, the, uh, the Old Testament that explains at least, at least part of what Paul means, I think. Uh, what, what I'm trying to do is just answer the question. What does it mean to participate or partake? Unworthily. That's what I'm trying to address. Because if I believe that illnesses and a death or so come as a result, then the, the very kindest thing that I could do is try to explain unworthy participation. And I, I'm suggest, suggesting that there is an excellent illustra- illustration that will explain at least part of what the Apostle Paul means. It's found in Numbers chapter 5, and, and I've, I've mentioned it to you before. Um, it's, a, it's a dramatic scene, and we, um, <laughs> we histrionic types love the dramatic. Well, there is a dramatic scene in, in Numbers chapter 5, uh, which was a provision that was contained in Old Testament ceremonial law for a husband who was particularly concerned about the faithfulness of his wife. That is, if a husband had a wife, 
that he wasn't real sure was being faithful to him. There was a provision in Old Testament ceremonial law, and it, and it, it went like this. Here's what the husband was to do. He was to take his wife, and she was to, uh, he was to take her over to the, um, the, the temple or the sanctuary and, and explain his concerns to the priest. This is all outlined, by the way, in Numbers chapter 5, if you'd like to look at it later on, or maybe now. That's, uh, but anyway, the, the little husband took his wife over to the sanctuary and explained his concerns to the priest. And then the priest scraped some dirt off of the sanctuary floor and mixed it with some water. And then the young woman was told, under a, a solemn oath, to drink it. If she were innocent, there would be no repercussions of her drinking it. But if she were guilty, that is, of unfaithfulness to her husband... Oh my, her body would swell, her thigh would, I'm going to use the word rot, most suggest that she was rendered sterile. Most commentarians suggest that that was the ramification. Numbers 5 provided a legal procedure designed, that, 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 that it's called a jealousy test. The jealousy test was designed to expose an unfaithful bride. If she were guilty and partook of that liquid, she would have then been an unworthy participant. And she was going to get very ill and might even die. What I'm saying is that that unfaithful bride of Numbers chapter 5 would be the quintessential illustration of unworthy participation, which Paul mentions here. The lesson is for this young woman, don't drink this if you're guilty. And I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, that that lesson is one that ought to be voiced when this sacrament comes up. Don't drink this nor eat this if you have given your heart to another lover. There's nothing that our faithful husband can't or won't forgive except our refusal to give to him our hearts. One of the more famous scenes in, in English history, and again, uh, if you know me very well, I, I, I tend towards the dramatic end of the spectrum, but this is a this is a scene, a dramatic scene taken out of English history that some of you may have heard of. It was um, the uh, king of England, Henry IV, who is standing barefooted out in, in the snow uh, outside the gates of the castle at Canossa. 
doing penance and asking for absolution of his sin from the then Pope, uh, Gregory Seventh. So there's the king standing in the snow uh, in humiliation and penance. His humiliation ultimately paid off and, uh, and he was granted uh, absolution from his sin and his decree of excommunication was lifted by the, by the Pope. But that was not the end of the story because the Pope, Gregory, had outstanding charges against him that he said he could easily refute with numerous witnesses. But instead of using those witnesses, he says this. This comes from a book entitled The Ordeal. And this is quoting Pope Gregory VII. And he says, But lest I should seem to rely rather on human than divine testimony, and that I may remove from the minds of all by immediate satisfaction every scruple, Behold this body of our Lord which I am about to take. Let it be to me this day a test of my innocence. And may the omnipotent God this day, by his judgment, absolve me of the accusations if I am innocent. Or let me perish in sudden death if guilty. (laughs) Guys, do you see what he's done? He is applying the principles of Numbers chapter 5 to himself. But he is not using dirt and water. He's using this. He's using the sacrament and saying, As I take this, may it demonstrate my guilt or innocence. Pope Gregory takes the elements and nothing happens. He then turns to King Henry and offers him the same deal. Now you take. Henry refuses. And that's not the end of the story. Most historians suggest that he refused because... A year earlier, the Bishop of Utrecht, who is the one who excommunicated Pope Gregory, his name was William, that, that, um, that William had done the same thing that Gregory had done. That is, he stood before an audience. In fact, it was at the, the service of excommunication of the Pope, and, and towards, the, towards the end of that ceremony, he takes... The bread, which in Roman Catholicism is called the host. He takes the host and he says, let this be a demonstration of my innocence and, and or prove me guilty. He eats it and he falls to his knees and he cries, I burn, I burn. And he dropped down and died a very excruciating death. You see, guys, both of those men, both Gregory and William, had done what I'm doing. That is, they combined Numbers chapter 5 with 1 Corinthians 11, saying, 
that my participation in the Lord's Supper is a test of my faithfulness. Now, gang, I do not want to suggest to you that communion bread and wine is likely to turn into fire into your stomachs. But I do want to say this. One of the things that communion ought to be, at least at least part, at least one of the things that the Lord's Supper ought to be for us, is a loud, fresh, poignant reminder that we belong to a jealous bridegroom who refuses to share his bride with other lovers. That bridegroom cares for this bride with a love that is breathtaking in in intensity. That bridegroom deserves a faithful bride. Guys, um, where we have been unfaithful to our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, what we are called to do is what the New Testament instructs us to do. And that is, we confess our sins to the one who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the things that we must see to before we come is the dealing with our unfaithfulnesses individually. We come admitting those unfaithfulnesses and confessing our flawed but but an undying love for Christ. That's what That's what a worthy participant does. We own our unfaithfulnesses. And we deal with them the way the scripture provides. By confession. Claiming the promises that we're forgiven. I close with this. In the text. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let a man examine himself. Let's do that. Let's pray. Our Father, I do ask that you would um, prepare us rightly for this which is um, so pregnant with meaning something that is um, a reminder of the centerpiece of our faith, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we come, Father, not claiming to be the perfectly spotless bride. We come claiming our unfaithfulnesses and laying hold of the forgiveness that is being offered us. Oh, the sweet sound of 
forgiveness to a guilty ear. Thank you for what is made available to those who claim it and do so. They make their claim based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name.